y'all. It's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys will tell you all about their experience and games played at TantrumCon. Plus, they'll give us reviews for El Grande, Anunnaki, Aqua, Unboxed, and 2GM Tactics. Hello, and welcome to episode number 314, Gonna Fly Now. I'm Tony. I'm Marty. And won't you be my Valentine? This is coming out right before Valentine's Day, which in the McCree household, we're so old, we don't even do that kind of crap anymore. It's a, it's a Hallmark holiday. There's two channels dedicated to that, too, on the TV. Only Maybe three. Two? Maybe three. Is there, let's see, the Mysteries and Drama, the regular Hallmark channel. Isn't there yeah. a third Hallmark channel? There's, yeah, there, yeah the Mysteries and Drama. <laughs> the from the other room said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's the standard Hallmark, the mysteries, and and then the movies. So, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes, okay, yes. yeah. Yeah, matter of fact, before it came down to record today, Donald was watching one. I walked in on her right at the end. I know better. Don't get to, not well, one she hasn't seen, but I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh my God, that's some of the worst makeup I ever said. She says, it's time traveling. I'm missing the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Sorry. you. You can hit pause. <laughs> No, this this was not pause. There was no pausing to this. I don't have the special TVs that you do. I got these boxes, and she wasn't watching it on box. Oh, so, okay, okay. So yeah, so yes, gonna fly now. Gonna fly now. It's uh, which people may know from the very first Rocky movie. Now, I assume this is in kind of honor of the recent passing of Carl Weathers, which yes, was a it surprise. Is. It was. He was seventy six years old. He passed away in his sleep, and it was such a surprise because. Uh, he's was recently in Mando. He's been mm-hmm. in each season of Mando, and so he's not like, oh, I forgot oh, about sorry. him. Sort I'm of. I'm sorry. Is is that Star Wars geeky talk? Mando. Okay, the Mandalorian. Okay, well, you know, I don't watch it, so luckily, I at least saw where he died, and they put it showed his picture. Where I would have been like, Mando. What kind of show is a Mando? So anyway, yes, <laughs> uh, it's it's a funny thing about back of all the uh, the things he's been. I didn't realize he was a former football player. Played I did a couple either. years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And then he was cast uh, in Rocky, and Sylvester Stallone had a good Instagram post. Did he? Uh, I, did, I missed it. Yeah, kind of like uh, on the day he passed away, he was he was kind of getting choked up, but he kind of told about you know, how he has such a great presence, and he knew the day he walked into audition for Apollo Creed for Rocky, he knew he was the guy. Yeah, and what it took, you know, Sylvester Stallone to get Rocky, he wanted to be cast, he wrote it, and so forth. But that was the to me that was one of the best movies that I haven't completely seen. I've seen so many I gotta sit down and watch the whole thing. I've seen the fight scenes. I've seen you know various bits and pieces of it over time. I think I've seen it all, but I can't tell you I've never sat down and watched all but just that whole fight scene I've watched multiple times because you get it in YouTube and everything. Yeah. But he then it was such a classic character in the movies and then in Rocky Four, which mm. set up the whole thing of him getting killed. Yeah. You know, by uh Draco, uh, Drago, Drago. What was the Russian's name? Yeah, was that four? Yeah, because one, because one was Apollo Creed. He lost. Two was Apollo Creed. Right. He won. Three was Mister T. Pity the fool. <laughs> Pity the fool. That's right. And then four uh, was the the yep the Russian. Yeah, right? I must Remember break that. you. But then I mean, so much. And then he, uh, did you ever watch? Uh, Predator. My gosh, that's right. Predator. First Predator. When, did you ever see Arrested Development? No, I, I missed oh that. Oh my one. gosh. His character in Arrested Development okay. is so good. He plays himself. 
And he, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's teaching an acting school. That's the running bit. It is so funny. He plays okay. such a good character. Uh, Happy Gilmore. Yeah, oh, yes. That's, that is probably one of my fa- When he shows him, he, uh, he took my hand. And, and Adam Sandler's, oh. <laughs> I don't know why that movie makes me chuckle so much. But yes. Because it was a funny movie. It was oh. a funny movie. But but well, the thing I saw when they were going doing his you know his legacy and everything when when they did the bicep uh, grab with Arnold and he oh and Arnold, yeah that's boom. right <laughs> that's which is now a very popular animated GIF yeah. Mm, yeah so I was like yeah so yes going to fly now um, hey is part of us growing up I mean we saw all this as you know you and I yeah. continue to grow up and he was a big part of the acting and everything and now I guess I got to go watch Mando. So I can see what his character was there. I guess he, he wasn't a Mandalorian, was he? He was not. He was. Okay. Um, I ain't going to give anything away. He was a character that kind of showed up a couple times a season. Okay. Um, each season. So, yeah. But it was a good character. Thing is, I'm not sure what they're going to do. I think they're supposed to do like a new Mandalorian movie or something. Yeah, so I'm not, it's a shame because he kind of established himself as a character that the Mandalorian would go back and visit every so mm-hmm. often. So it's a shame that he's not going to be able to reprise that role. Well, it's the same thing with... Uh, Ahsoka, uh, the main bad guy in Ahsoka passed away right after that was shot too. So they're unsure how they're going to follow up with that. What's Ahsoka? It's another Star Wars thing. Okay, we're just going to move on from that. <laughs> it's another Star Wars show. Hey, recently we just went to Tantrum Con, which is the big convention here in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, hosted by Tantrum House. And they moved to a new venue this year. I never did hear what the final attendance was. I know they were hoping possibly to get close to a thousand, but I, I never heard what the final count was, but it was an amazing setup. Uh, the new venue was great. There was a lot of space this year. A lot of space, a lot of space. Holy cow. There were a lot of rooms I didn't even visit. I didn't realize there was a whole RPG area, like on another floor. So it was just really well ran. And I told them, I said, look, maybe it's crazy behind the scenes, but out here, everything looks like it's running smoothly. It's probably pure duck thing we're just skimming along the top of the water but underneath they're paddling like crazy trying to get all the rooms going keeping all the people moving keeping everybody showing up i mean you know there was a lot of people there uh we had an opportunity uh we got our moon pie contest done at tantrum con which was a great and amazing event eight mini moon pies in one minute i I can't imagine i watched it and i still can't imagine it yeah that was the word yeah that was amazing and he was a repeat Winner. Ooh. And what's amazing is for him to even get there, he had to win the strike game to mm-hmm. even get back on stage to compete again. So he won strike past two years, then won the moon pie eating contest. So we're going to see if he can three-peat next year. I'm not doing a belt. I mean, if I get maybe, I, we could probably come up with some belt for him. We, and make get, a, we should come up with a moon pie belt. That would be kind of cute. Yeah, I mean, I can string together a bunch of boxes and then we can, yeah. Maybe moon pie would finally recognize us. Not. <laughs> They ain't ever going to happen. We've been trying for years and we, we got nothing. But I, one of my favorite things is, and I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. So, you know, when, when we went to Dyson Diversions, we were talking about the hotel and the, how cold it was. Mm-hmm. So it was funny. It was very cold at the hotel at Dyson Diversions. The weekend during Tantrum Con, we had extreme warmth in the, in the winter. We had 70 degrees and it's like the hotel hadn't kicked in their air conditioning yet. So it was, it was warm in the building. I was able to wear a t-shirt. So it was a nice 
uh, thing that occurred here with me. You know, we didn't freeze or anything like that. It was very comfortable to sit there and play games. Mm-hmm. I love the facility. The parking was easy. Getting around Charlotte, plenty of places to eat while you're there. And Grubhub was constantly going into there or Uber Eats or whoever, constantly visiting the hotel. So great location. Can't wait to hear what they got planned next year and the time of the event. I know one time they were talking about hopefully pushing it into February, March. So I don't think they've announced dates for yet that yet. I assume it will be at the same hotel. Again, which is a super nice facility. But we do a couple talk about a couple games uh, that we got to play. Some of them I played when uh, you weren't there. The first game I played was with Bonacore, Stephen Bonacore. He said, Marty, sit down. You got to play this game that I picked up over in Europe called Cabanga. Now, Tony, this is going to be your your type of card game right here. Okay. All, All right. right. I'm waiting. It's a deck of cards. There's four different colors. Uh, each of the colors have numbers one through 18. I can't remember. Uh, you know, it's exactly one of each number. Um, at the beginning of the game, uh, you've got four rows set up on the table with random numbers set in each row. Like uh, there's maybe like a one and three on one row and a six and 12 on another. And then there's a color on each of the row that represents what color card is supposed to go in each row. So mm-hmm. when you, you play the game, you pick either one of the higher number cards or lower number cards, and you're going to put one of your cards of the same color on there. And what that's going to do is there's going to be a gap between the two numbers. So let's say that six and 12 are currently sitting on the table with a blue and I need to play a blue on one of the one of those two. If I play a 10 on top of the six, that means the 10 and 12 are sitting there. If somebody has in their hand the, the blue 11, they go kabanga or kabanga, whatever it is. And then they throw it on the table and I have to draw a card because they were able to get rid of a card. It's a card shedding game. You're trying to get rid of all your cards. So when you play the cards on the table, you try to keep the gap between the two numbers as small as possible so that people can't discard the cards. Because if I was to play, let's say there's a six out there and I play a, a 14, oh great, that means a seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, et cetera, could be discarded. And everybody goes, kabanga, kabanga, and throwing away cards. And I got to draw all these cards in this place. So strategically, you're trying to keep the cards, a, a lot of spread of different cards in different colors. So that when it's just your turn to play the card, you try to keep the gap between the two cards as small as possible so nobody get rid of them. It's a fast playing game, plays in five to 10 minutes. Okay, because you got to mind the gap is what I'm hearing. Mind the gap, that's it. And uh, once somebody has gotten rid of all their cards, the game is over. So when somebody's sitting there with one card, if they play a card and, uh, you know, somebody can kabanga them, <laughs> you know, then I was crap. You know, I didn't get to get rid of that last card. Very simple card game. Uh, Bonacore feels this is going to be easily a Spiel des Jahres nominee. Mm-hmm. He says it's that type of game. So it's not over here in the U.S. yet, but it's going to be coming at some point in time. Yes, it's by Amigo Games. So I believe usually um, Asmodee picks up those games and brings them over. I'm, I could be easily wrong on that, 99 game. Now, I will be over in uh, Spain. So if I want to pick up my own copy, maybe it's in one of the game stores when I'm over there in two months. If you are, do get a copy because I think you'll like it. Okay. I, I, the only thing is, you, you know, with my, my slow people, they, they may not recognize it. I could just see them. For us, it would be fun, but I could just see, what was I supposed to do again? Okay. You got to mind the gap, notice when that occurs, and then throw down a car. Because it sounds like, like you said, if you do too big of a spread, then you're going to be picking up a whole lot of cards. Exactly. And that's that's what it is. Um, so have you ever played the game Skull King? Uh, I have played the original of it. Okay. I've never played the Skull King. There's two versions of it, oh. but I, I know I know about it because everybody tells me you need to try that because you're such a lover of Opa Shaw. Thank you. 
Rob Rouse is teaching this game to the table. And he's like, I'm going to teach you guys Skull King. I'm going to deal one card, then two cards. You got to bid to get your trick sort of deal. And you get points if you do. There's special cards that can monkey with you and stuff like that. So as he's explaining this, I went, oh, this is like old Pasha. And Rob says, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I go through all the names of old Pasha. He says, I have no clue what you're talking about. I'm like, and I'm looking around the table. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And everybody's looked just like stunned. I, I've never heard of that game. So we're playing a game that's literally <laughs> an extended version of Opa Shaw, a little more a gamer type game. Nobody's heard of it. So, yeah, I'm sitting here looking at the BGG and it's like Skull King is a trick taking game similar to Oh Hell, which is also Opa Shaw. Yes. Wizard. Everybody knows Wizard. Euchre, if you're from the Midwest, you know that. And he should recognize it because it's very similar to Spades. So anyway, so I played the game and I walked away with minus 270 points. It was not a well good played. game for me. Well played. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rob said, you're not going to ever play this game again. I said, no, actually, this is the type of game I enjoy. So I need to get to buy a copy. Another one of those games, we probably need to have a copy in our collection. So there were two types. One was uh, by uh, Grandpa Back Skull King, and there were uh, various uh, renditions of this. And one you didn't want because it, it changed some of the rules, and I forget which one it is. I'll have to go and, and do some research on there. I mean, Ravensburger's published it. I mean, Grandpa Bex has the last one, and DeVere's even done it. So who knows? I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe they all have the thing where you have the pirate, you have the maiden. Mm-hmm. You have the Skull King itself, and then there is a hierarchy of who beats who, uh, right. sort of deal. Like the Skull King beats it, uh, beats you know everybody, and the Pirate beats everybody, unless the Handmaidens in there. So these are little, little rules that you you got to deal with, plus some extra cards that you can just say, "Hey, I'm going to just excuse myself and not play this turn," or you can cancel a whole trick. So these are the little cards that come out during the game, but you just got to mm-hmm. be able to bid correctly, which I really sucked at. <laughs> So also while I was there, uh, 25th Century Games was there. Our buddy Chad, 25th Century Games, is getting ready to come out with a Kickstarter later on. And it's going to be a bundle of a Kickstarter of several games. One of those is a wine cellar from designer Andrew Stiles. And he is a, I had never heard this word before. I'm not a wine person. He said, you and your rival, sommeliers, sommeliers. How do you say that? I I can't say it. I know what you're talking. It's the guy who knows all about wines. Yes. So when you go to dinner, you'll have your bread guy, you'll have your waiter person, and then you'll have your wine person, your sommelier or whatever. I can, I definitely cannot say it. Okay. Um, so anyway, that's what you're you're playing as, and you have these long strips, which are your playing cards, and there's cards put out in the middle of the table. And each of you have a hand of cards, and at the top of the card is a number, and that's your bid number. So everybody's going to secretly lay down a card. And you flip over, the one with the highest number gets their first pick from the middle of the table of a type of wine. So Andrew is a sommelier, sommelier, whatever it is. Just and a, a wine guy. A wine guy. And he's sitting there saying, you know, you're supposed to drink wine at a certain age. And your goal is to stack your wine rack so that you're drinking from top to bottom. Uh, the earlier, you want the best wine that's drank early at the top of your rack. Mm. And the wine is best drink later at the bottom of your, of your rack. So you take one of those strips, you turn it to the side because he said wine is supposed to be stored on its side mm-hmm. and you put it on the table in front of you. The card that you used to bid on now goes into the middle of the table to be bid on again. And each card has a set of numbers one through eight that are randomized like one, four, seven, six, eight. But the eight's the highest number. 
when you draw another card, that card must go on the top or bottom of whatever cards are in, in your table. And what's going to happen is this process is going to keep going. You're going to bid, take, bid, take until each of you have eight cards. And then on each row, in the first row, you take the first number of the card. That's the value you get on row one. You go to row two, you take the second number all the way down to the eighth card and you take the eighth number. So your goal is to try to get high numbers and basically a diagonal, mm -hmm. uh, starting with uh, the one being on the leftmost and I mean, the high number being on the leftmost and the high number being on the rightmost of the bottom, add up all the points and then most points wins. It is an extremely clever game, but also has a little bit of type of set collection because at the beginning of the game, it'll say, hey, you're going to get bonus points if you get wines from these particular countries oh. and every wine has a country. Hey, you're going to get bonus points if you get red wines or sparkling wines or white wines. So you have these other goals that you're also trying to achieve as you play the game. Play super fast. I think it plays like up to eight players. Vincent Dutre is the artist. So I'm telling you, it is just a one of those card games that you can sit there and play. There's no downtime because you basically bid, draw, put a card, and keep going. So you can have some table talk as you're playing along at the end. See who wins the game. It's very clever. I think it's going to do really well. So this is the one that everybody kept telling me, you got to try this. You got to try yes. this thing, get a chance. I see that on BGG, it's supposed to come out in 2025. Um, like you said, it was a Kickstarter. It'll be on Kickstarter we'll be, here. We'll be a Kickstarter. Yep. We'll be on 25th Century Games. One of the things that catches my eye, if you know, you go over to BGG, there's no pictures or anything like that, just a description from the publisher, but it says best played with eight. But I like games like this where, the, you know, that sweet spot when you get a group together, play with six, you know, card games that can play mm. with six. And if yes. I see where it plays best with eight, and you know, this is BG, no one's played this game. So they got no idea how many people it's best to play with. No. You got it out there in runtime. I play with four or five. No problem. It's the interaction. I think. Oh, it's really good because you know what the highest bid number is. So as you're playing, you're, you're deciding, do I want to play a high card this time to get first pick or am I okay to play a lower card and get a later pick in the draft? but I feel okay with the ones that are left for me to pick from sort of deal. I love bidding games. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I really like. And I also think that it's cool that the what you bid with now becomes available to draft next turn. So maybe there's a card you have in hand that you want to put in your tableau. I'm going to bid with this next round. I'll bid with the high card to get first choice to get that back and put it on my tableau. Okay. Clever. Well, uh, when it hits, we'll definitely talk about it again. Make sure people keep their eye up. I mean, I always enjoy games that are have a different feel to them, that unique mm -hmm. perspective, especially cards. I love having, of all my card games, I, I never shed any of my card games. Shed up board games, but I never shed card games. So that's, uh, that's a weakness. One reason, too, they're easy to store. And so the last game that you did not get to play that I hate you didn't get to play was Kootenahor. This is a game we saw at Gen Con from CGE, The City of Silver. This is a Euro game, and to be honest with you, a lot of the standard stuff you're doing as far as scoring points and generating points is very similar. What's unique about the game is this whole thing we saw with the economy, because mm -hmm. there's different types of resources in their game. There's ore, there's brick, there's beer, but you don't have individual tokens or resources representing those. Instead, the only thing that you're collecting is money. But when it goes time for you to need ore or need brick or wood to build something, there is a little calculator that's built out of basically some uh, tabs and some cards that will tell you the current price of whatever it is you're buying. And if I need four wood, I look over on this cute little stand that has a little uh, the slider with the window over a card showing me what the current value of wood is. 
If it's the value is three and I need four wood, I pay 12. I've paid my wood. I can do my building. I can make my building. But what happens is as you build things with wood, the value of wood goes up because the supply is going down. What? That's rep- yeah. So there's a stack of cards behind these sliders. And so you're going to take a card from the top of the deck and slide it behind. The one behind it may actually mm-hmm. increase the value of wood. So then, well, how do I drop the value of wood? You drop the value of wood by building a wood mill. One of the things you can do on your turn is there's a place you can build buildings. You can hold a spot on the board to build a building, go claim a building to build in the future. And when you build it, then something will happen. Well, if it's a sawmill, what that does is that adjusts the little uh, horizontal slider, cardboard slider that's in front of the card and it'll slide to the right showing a lower number because now the supply has gone up and the value of the goes down. So this is happening with all the different types of resources. So you're telling me normal economics are applied in this game? Imagine that. Wow. Okay. Now it's it's really cool. There's also the concept of ore. You can go mining. You know, ore is used to heat the buildings and stuff like that. So then many people would go mine. But what is really clever, Tony, is that you can't affect the price of every resource in the game. At the beginning, you're going to, in reverse turn order, take a random set of, of tokens that say, okay, these are the type of resources that you can affect basically this game. I might not be able to affect the price of wood, but you can. And in a four player game, two other people can. So I'm hoping that you guys will continue to build wood mills to keep the Mm -hmm. price of wood down. Concurrently, whatever I have that you don't have, I'll try to make sure to control the price of that to keep it at original price too. I'm also maybe maybe trying to hoard those resources also because maybe I want the price to go up because at the end of the game, we're going to see how many resources I have, what's the current cost of that, and how much money I'm going to get from it. Yeah, I hope we get to play this and do a full review of this soon. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, uh, yeah, when we saw the Gen Con, uh, that whole economic thing, that's got me. You, you, you had me at economics. Here's what's also going to have you. Four players, first game played, two hours. It plays fast for this. You would think this game, looking at it, because how, yeah, it does not. Does it not plays. It has that thing of like, holy crap, the game is almost over feel for me. I feel mm. like I got to do more stuff and I don't have enough time. Now, what you're doing during your turn is, again, kind of standard put buildings out on the board, build the buildings, blah, blah, blah. It's the whole economy that's really interesting. The only thing that I thought was like, eh, I wasn't so sure about is anytime you're going to put tiles onto a board, there's always going to be something. Well, if you can get these two tiles beside each other, it's going to earn you bonus points at the end. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of those other things that it's like, I almost wish that wasn't there because it's like, I'm, I'm more interested in the economy than making sure two symbols match each other when I put the two buildings beside each other in order to generate victory points. Because I was kind of torn between which way I should focus my turn. But yes, you need to play it. I think you'll like this style of game. So Tantrum Con was full. You and I, we, we I only was able to show up on Saturday, but you know we got to play El Grande. And then uh, we got to put 1846, but in our chat group, it's every 18, I think we've hit almost every year in our chat group now, but I can't wait to play 1842. Wait for 1819, 1822. I'm like, oh, it was 1846, guys. Okay. While we were there, when we were playing it, we had a gentleman stop by the table and just explain to us how and what we were doing wrong in playing this game. And he was being kind about it because obviously... You know, we're still learners at this. And he's like, here's what you want to do and why you want to do that. So the 
play of the 18X game at TantrumCom, people kept visiting us saying, oh, wow, y'all will be here for another 10 hours. That was that was kind of um, crushing to to the old um, heart there that people kept saying it would take us forever to play. I thought we were doing well. We, we were. I mean, we knew going into it, we were not going to finish the game. Our goal, honestly, this is Tony and I's second time playing 1846. We just wanted to play a few rounds just to make sure we got the feel of it. We had two new players. All of us eventually now wanted to dedicate a Saturday to actually play through a full game because now we've all played through it at least once. At least we know the floor of the game. But the gentleman who stopped by was amazing. He just said, you know, this is how this works. This is the strategy you want to do. Here's what you want to do here. So a uh, big thank you to him. That was a, a big help to us. And I look forward to uh, getting this on the table in the future for a full game of 1846. Yeah, I was surprised at some of the things he was saying because I was like, oh, man, we have not thought about that. Or, you know, and then he went over to the private companies. So I said, we hadn't. We hadn't given him a whole lot of thought about that. So I will say this. He did mention that the Chattanooga Rail Gaming Challenge that goes on is a whole 18X weekend. Okay. It's already happened. It occurred um, on the 11th through 14th in January. You know, they've been going on for 28th, the 28th year. So wow. that, that's pretty unreal. There's they're pretty, pretty, uh, it's $103 in advance for admission to it. You know, I don't think it's something that you and I would get out there and do, mm-hmm. but um, something if someone wants to consider it next year at the beginning of the year, I mean, on a cold, wet, dreary weekend, sure. Head over to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where you can get into some 18X. 18XX. Oh, wait. We can shorten up Mandalorian, but we can't shorten up 18XX. Because you know some hardcore is going to be out there. You know it's 18X. X. <laughs> yeah, I know it's 18XX. Come on. Ah. Uh. So I found out before we recorded the show, I was going to talk about uh, a game that's coming out as a Target exclusive, a re-release of King of Tokyo. Very popular game from Richard Garfield came out years ago. There's a new version coming as a Target exclusive called Origins, uh, which is basically going to be a cheaper version of the game. It's only going to be $30 instead of $45. Smaller box. It's got four brand new monsters in it. And as I'm talking about this, I find out Tony has never played this game. How did you never play King of Tokyo? I don't, I don't understand that. It never appealed. I'll be honest with you. It never. It looked like Yahtzee with a bunch of uh, wooden, uh, not wooden, um, a bunch of uh, cardboard monsters. This is what well, it looked like. It's kind of what it was. It is kind of playing Yahtzee, and the dice can either do attacks or give you power that you can use to get special cards, etc. I'm not going to go over the rules of King of Tokyo, but what's very cool about this is that um, it's going to be uh, showing up in Target, which means if you have friends and family, uh, especially with kids. And with the whole rage of Godzilla recently and Godzilla versus Kong coming out, Kaiju is going to be big uh, this year. So King of Tokyo uh, would be a perfect game to get on the table. In fact, what I did was I took this over to my friend's house who has three boys between eight and ten. I took it over on Christmas holiday. I taught them the game and I said, you guys have so much fun with it. I'm going to leave it with you. He emailed me last week and he said, Thank you so much for leaving that game. He said, I promise you, we probably play that game three or four times a week now. The boys wow. just love it. It's a game that plays in 30 minutes. So it's a great, great family game. But again, what's the the appeal of the uh, Target version? It's only $30 for brand new monsters. You still got those big old nice dice. And so it's going to, I think it's going to do great in retail. And then in 2025, this will be a full release for anybody to carry and it's going to come out February 18th to so start looking for it then. And there's going to be some limited copies at Gen Con uh, this year, too. So that is King of Tokyo Origins. 
Now, Tony, on my birthday, I got to play a, a new party game that I'm sure will be right up your alley. It's called Think Like a Shrink. Yeah. It is designed by a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Do you know the difference between the two? Uh, same, a psychologist and a, psycho- a psychologist and a psychiatrist? A psychiatrist. Uh, one has a PhD, one does not. One's an actual doctor, one is not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to clarify that. All right, so here's what it is. Uh, it's oh, one of that's not like, worth $5. You asked me if I knew, and no. I think I know. So if I'm wrong, it doesn't mean that, yeah, I'm wrong, but that's what I think. Okay. This is like your Dixit apples to apples style game where there is a main player and everybody's kind of trying to pick what he's going to say. And so these five pictures uh, put out on the table, and then there is a prompt that will be read. It'll be like, uh, for example, you are on a conference call and you hear a toilet flush. Or on a podcast. Or on a podcast, which did happen to us. So let's say you're on a conference call and you hear a toilet flush. Now, if this was you reading this card, you would look at five pictures on the table and decide what picture best goes with this. And these are just random pictures of different objects. And then you would pick what emotion you would feel, anger, surprise, sadness, etc. And everybody else basically writes down what they think that you're going to pick and why. And then you go around the table and everybody tells you, hey, I think you would pick this with this emotion and here's why. And they get a point for each time that they're right. And the goal is try to uh, get to the finish line around the clock, basically, because, you know, you only got a 50 minute session. So you go from 12 to 10. You're going around and hearing these kind of crazy situations and how people you think will react to it. I'll be honest. I would. It sounds Mysterium, like you said, Dixit, all those games, you know. I know Mysterium, yeah. but it's, it's not Mysterium. It's, it's apples to apples, Dixit, that sort of thing. Why can't it be Mysterium? Mysterium, I'm Mysterium a is I'm, a deeper game than that. Mysterium is about matching colors. I, I mean, it's about, yeah, what, whatever. I, it's just, it's more about trying to figure <laughs> out. The whole idea is to create these conversations about getting to know people better. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's right up my alley. Having a conversation with me to get to know me better. If anybody who's paid any attention to this podcast knows that, it's exactly what Mr. Flavor Text McCree wants to hear. Having conversations about, so I heard a toilet flush. How do I feel about it? I mean, that's kind of funny. You know, I think some of these categories are kind of interesting. If, if you know, they follow that same suit. I mean, like you're walking down a, a grocery store aisle and you hear someone fart next to you. How do you react? I mean, that could be fun. That could be yeah. entertaining. Okay. So one of them was, was you're sitting beside a warm fire in your house. And then we show five pictures. And this was my mom answering. One of the pictures looks like a signal strength on your phone. We have mm-hmm. a small line, a little bit bigger line going that. And uh, so we all go, hey, you know, it makes you happy. You're cozy sitting inside your home. And she said it made her fearful. And we went, What? She said, I have this fear of the house burning down, and that gauge over there reminds me of the flames getting bigger and bigger. I went, okay, that got kind of deep. We're going to move on to the next one. (laughs) So so we played, I mean, you're making me flashback, and I forget what it was. So Rebecca's um, husband brought a game, and he was taught, it was a game about conversation starters. We had people crying at the table. I'm like, this was over the holidays. I forget what the name of this thing was, but it was like, who was the most instrumental in your life? Who do you miss? And the question that got everybody going was, who do you miss the most that has recently died? So, you know, so, you know, of course, you know, my mom died in October. And so that got everybody going. And then, 
you know, the other people there, they just recently lost people. And I was like, wow, this is a happy note on Christmas Eve, man. Can we have another card? And so it was like, what was something that somebody did for you recently or did for you that was very instrumental in your life or made you change how you thought of things? I was like, okay, this is just way too deep for me, but everybody was enjoying themselves. So sometimes, you know, there's a place for these games. I don't want, I don't want to ditz it too much, ditz it too much um, because it is, these games can be very fun and enlightening for families or just, Mm -hmm. just in you know, for a party, a way to, you know, bring out the conversation in a party without having to, okay, we got the Super Bowl party coming up. Like that game at a Super Bowl party might be hilarious. <laughs> Another good game at a Super Bowl party is a game sent to us by Flat River Games. They, you know, they distribute for a lot of different companies. And there's a game called a Song Saga. Now, this is supposed to be played with your streaming device. Uh, where you get to learn about different songs that remind you of things. And we're going to play real quick, Tony. Oh, we're so playing. So we're going to be playing. So I'm going to just randomly, uh, oh, I'm not going to do that one. You're not randomly doing anything. Okay. No. It's, so what you're supposed to do is I, I would give you a topic, and you're supposed to say what's the song and what's the story. And the first one I pulled out was Losing Your Virginity. So we're going to move on to the next, unless you want to share what the song is for the no. <laughs> Dear headlight. TMI, buddy. No. Okay. Nobody wants. We're no. going to move right off of there. We no. might get another Moon Pascal subscriber if I do. All right. Here we go. Teen Angst. Mm. What's the song that makes you think of Teen Angst? Burning Down the House. No, I don't. Teen Angst. Okay. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. You're not a Teen uh, Angst guy. Uh, university. I don't even know that one. The topic. If you, when I tell you the word university, what's oh. a song that comes to mind, and what's the story behind it? Oh, um, university would probably be. Well, we just talked about Rocky, Eye of the Tiger, and just you know the the constant anthems at ball games and things like that. I guess I'm missing the the thought process of this game, maybe. So the idea is that. So for example, let's say '80s. What's the song? So you would have, let's say I have Alexa beside me. I go, Alexa, play Take On Me. And I, the people oh. was like, that's what reminds me of the 80s. And why does it remind me of the 80s? Because I heard it all the time in the 80s, et cetera. That's what that means. Oh, okay. Like, here's, here's a good one. Here's a good one you can do. First CD that you bought. So you would get your streaming device and start playing a song from the first CD that you bought, which would be? Uh, Phil Collins, In the Air Tonight. Oh, there you go. Mine was Hotel California. From the okay. Eagles. Okay. That was the first CD I bought. Uh, ooh, first concert. First concert. Uh, ooh, first concert. That would be uh, Rolling Stones. I never know you saw Rolling Stones. Live at Carter Finley on the front row, baby. Wait a minute. In college, that was your first concert? Yeah, I never went to a concert until I worked for Camelot Music, and I ran the Ticketmaster, and we were back there, and Rolling Stones were coming, and I was hitting the button to... 18 tickets or 16 tickets and we pulled the front row and they're always the first tickets you buy for the store. You buy for the store for the employees to go. Oh. And, I just, uh, and I happened to hit the front row. So I got to go see the Rolling Stones on front. Mick Jagger spit on me. Nice. Well, first actually, was, I don't know if he did or not. I just know it was, it was very, very loud. My first was sticks. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. When I was in high school, it was the, uh, Cure Roy was here. Album. Mm-hmm. All right, here you go. This will be a good one. With Valentine's right around the corner, I want you to look at Alexa, and I want you to play the song that, 
get your partner in the mood for romance. Ooh, okay. Um, let's see. It's not the one, um, I'm not in love by 10CC. Okay. We're going to pause right here. Squirrel. Me and Vanessa have this discussion every time this song comes oh, on. Oh, I know what it's, it is about. You are in love and you don't want them to leave. Exactly. Vanessa says she doesn't think that's really what it means. No, that's exactly what it means. She thinks she's really in love. I said, would you listen to the words? (laughs) I have a picture hanging on the wall. It's just hiding a stain that's there. I mean, it goes on and on. Well, he's basically saying, yes, I am still in love with you because, but I'm. No, he says, I'm not in love and don't forget it. No, it's, uh, see, me and Vanessa are on the same thing. It's the, it's the exact opposite of what he's saying because he's making excuses for why the picture's on the wall. Not that he loves you. Yeah, go ahead and look at the words. Every one of them is an expression of his, no, I'm not in love with you, but here is why I'm not because I really, really, really am. That's what that song is about. At least it is for me. And this is art. Therefore, art is, can be interpreted by people by different ways. But, you know, that's one of the biggest, you know, I'm not in love. I keep a picture upon the wall that hides a nasty stain lying there. So don't ask me to give it back. I know you know it doesn't mean that much to me. Right. Don't, a- don't ask me to give it back because I can't give it up. I'm still in love with you. He's making an excuse why he can't. It's, he's giving a false excuse as to why he can't give it back. All right, listeners. So, so, so the next, what's the next line? It just says, I'm not in love. No, no, no. It's because, and it goes to the course. Well, here's another verse. I like to see you, but then again, that doesn't mean you mean that much to me. So if I call you, don't make a fuss. Don't tell your friends about the two of us. I'm not in love. Okay. And that's the exact opposite of what he's saying. He's been, he's sitting there saying, don't make a fuss. Okay, if you're not in love, why are you even calling her? There you go. So listeners, as you were saying. Listeners, uh, come to our Discord channel. Let us know, is I'm not in love an actual love song? Or is it a song saying, look, I'm not really in love with you anymore. We're just friends. By the way, this was a complete squirrel because the actual song <laughs> is a, um, a, a bread song that I know Donna loves. That oh, I could. Oh my gosh, there's so many of those. Exactly. And I forget, there's one particular, it's not, oh man, I'll have to go look it up. But yes, that's it. So this is song second. I now understand. I wasn't really following you at the beginning, but okay, that's kind of, so you would well, actually. On, this is fun. So mine is, <laughs> get to get Vanessa in the mood, it's, I just played the ELO album Time. Uh, she likes that. Okay. Time. Last one. Last one. Let's see if you can, um, can't believe you used to like it. What's a song that you cannot believe that you actually used to like? Ooh. Mm. Mm. I'm sure there's a um, Wham song in there that I used to like. Or they only had so many of them. I know. Man, I, I, nothing's coming to me. I'd have to, you know, you know how you can hear them? Uh, I'd have to hear them, but yes. Okay. Okay, so really this is the last one. Singer that you had a teenage crush on. Oh, singer I had a teenage crush on. Wow. Mm. Well, well, that's kind of, oh, oh, that'd be Samantha Fox. Nice. <laughs> That's very good. What was that song she sang? By the way, Bread was If. The oh, is. okay, yeah. Uh, uh, she sang. Uh, British pop star, and she was some type of, oh, my. What was her big pop song hit? I'm checking. Uh, she was a page three girl. Touch me. I want your body. 
touch me. I want to feel your body, your body close to mine. Yeah. <laughs> touch me, touch me. I want you back. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Oh, this- All right. I'm sorry, y'all. That's fun. Song Saga would be an absolute blast at a party to find out all these songs about that your friends remind you of and the reason why. So, yeah. yeah. Check that out. of her and in, in the university. Okay. We'll just, we'll just leave that there. Yeah. You did. You did. Among other uh, material. All right. So, one of the things. So, we've been talking about this. One thing I wanted to um, quickly drop here is I was watching a new um, TV game show hosted by Rob Lowe over on, I think it's the Fox, called The Floor. Love it. Have you been watching it? Yes. I think it's a fantastic trivia show because I can play along. Ding, 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 ding. I completely and 100% agree with you. And believe it or not, there is a ton of strategy in that. And how you're taking the various, how you're getting to certain people's um, areas or how you want to suggest or move into various categories and then try to go for those that you feel very um, strongly about versus those that are weak. Um, yeah, just quick, just so people know, it's 100 people. Everybody comes in with their area of expertise. A random person's picked from the board and they have to challenge uh, somebody and uh, that's beside them, adjacent to them. Uh, and But when they challenge them, this not on their category, it's on the person that they're the opponent's category. Mm-hmm. And so you have to take them on on where they're the best. And if you beat them, that's when you take their category. No, no, no. If you lose, they get your category. That's you, it. You, you get keep your, your category. category. You, you yeah. keep challenging people against their category. But if you lose, then the person you challenge inherits your category. Yeah. Which you're sitting there thinking, oh, please don't let me have this. What's the, oh, there's one. Like, oh, there's uh, one that's fashion. And yeah. the last I saw, I, I haven't caught the last episode. Everybody's like avoiding the fashion guy. <laughs> but it's like weird things, right? It's like Simpsons, it's TV heroes. Uh, what was, there was a, some bizarre categories that people had. Oh, yeah. Uh, kitchen drawer. Uh, uh, yes, kitchen drawer. Idioms. Idioms. Um, so we were watching, the, and The Simpsons finally got picked. If you haven't seen the last one, The Simpsons. I have not seen the last one. Okay. All right. I guess this will spoil it for you, but w- what do you think the category would, because they're, they're showing all these pictures, and you got to come up with names and things like that of, of what they are, as you were saying. But what do you think The Simpsons is? Is it, is it who does the voice, or is it the name of a character? It is the guest star that's been on The Simpsons. Oh, oh, do they show a picture of him and you have to name the guest star? You have not, not the character. So like they had Lionel Richie on there. And, and so, you know, it's Lionel Richie. So all these people have been on the Simpsons and I'm like, for the 500 years that Simpsons have been on, Mm -hmm. everybody and their mother's been on the Simpsons. Yes. I would have never, if I had known that I would have, I would have steered clear of the Simpsons because I did horrible on that because I don't know pictures of all these people they're showing. You know, all these right. uh, famous people, like the divas chant of the divas category. I was like, I was like, oh, I am I so done. not too good on that. I, I rocked the apps one, the way you had to name the apps. A lot of the pop culture stuff I rocked, uh, mm-hmm. movies and stuff like that, because they weren't too out there or bizarre or anything. Oh, you know, they had horror movies, sci-fi movies. Right. So on one those. of the contestants, I don't know if you caught it, his name was Mondo Davis. Okay. He's a board game designer. Oh, um, and he goes, his name is Mondo on there and he's Mondo Davis. And he created the game from 25th century called Colorfield. That's his big game. He's had okay. a novel. He has one called Mansplaining Out that's currently out. 
Okay. All right. And so color field, it, I went and researched it. That looks kind of interesting. May have to give Mondo some love here and um, get color field from 25th century because it looks kind of like something right up my alley that I would enjoy a 30 minute game of, of abstract colors. So yeah, so that's, that has been, I think that's been our one favorite show recently that we're like, okay, is it on yet? Is it on yet? And it's once a week. So in fact, we need to, I need to see if Vanessa wants to catch up tonight and watch the latest episode. Yes. The floor, if you haven't caught it, people, if if you're into the trivia, this is fun trivia. As Marty said, I can do it. Right now, you can pre-order Printing Press, which is Gutenberg's little brother from Portal Games over at shopportalgames.com. If you want some of the same sort of uh, experience that you got with Gutenberg in a much smaller package, it only plays 30 to 60 minutes, then you want to check out Printing Press. These are starting to come out where you can see some videos and stuff on it and everything. It's available right now for pre-order for just 39 bucks. Again, plays one to four players anywhere from 15 to 60 minutes, which to me, doing some quick math, sounds like about 15 minutes per player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's so 15 and two players, 30. Uh, so we for sure want to check this out and see if it gives us that quick feel of printing press, but it is available right now to pre-order. We'll be coming out soon. This is one of the several games that will be brought to us by Portal Games this year. And so if you want to stay up on everything, head over to shopportalgames.com, join their newsletter, Make sure to subscribe to them on YouTube and follow them on X, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Aqua Biodiversity in the Oceans, designed by Dan Halstead, Tristan Halstead, put out by OP. It is a tile placement game where you are trying to build coral reefs and coral habitats for your fish to come live. And at the end of the game, you're going to score points based on what was randomly uh, set up at the beginning of the game from six tiles. This is a thinker more so than Marty expected. 100%. I thought, okay, piece of cake. I uh, draft a tile. Okay. Then I add it to my little coral reef area. Oh, look, if I get three tiles that form a little... Hexagon. 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 Yeah, you got to have a form of hexagon. Yep. And if I do that, oh, awesome. That means I will take the matching animal of that color and I will drop it right onto uh, the board right here. Sweet. Right. Now, but hey, let's put a bunch of other hexagons together, a bunch of other little fish, all different. They're Colors. diverse. They're diverse. Mm-hmm. Then a bigger fish comes in. I don't want to say that the fish is going to eat them. Oh, it's going to eat them. It's going to eat them. Yeah. Bigger fish always eats. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way it goes. He's going to come in and he's going to get in that. Um, little reef zone that little coral reef action happening right there you're gonna put that shape down you do that over 17 rounds and that's the game so there's a couple mechanisms i really enjoyed about this game one was on the selection of the tile that you're going to place into your reef is that you can either take a tile or you can pass and take the first player so you can have the next tile first to me, that actually sped up the game. When I was playing with Donna and, and our um, friends, they were able to you know, say, I really don't know what I want to do. None of these really benefit me. Y'all go right ahead. Maybe something better will come out next time. I like that. Yeah, so for me, what I liked was concept. Okay, these matching colors. Give me this animal here. I want a bunch of different colors together that match these shapes of these larger fish. 
like one of them was like three hexes in a line. And then there was even a big one where it was like uh, two hexes and like two off at an angle. And if I can match that shape and put it on top, it's going to award me huge points at the end of the game. So not only was I trying to get the hex colors matching together, I was trying to make sure that as I got the different color hexes together, they were a certain shape mm-hmm. to try to benefit and put one of the larger animals on top. Yeah, you were savanting this thing big time. I do want to talk. Was. <laughs> I, which is why I loved it. I'm just like, oh, this is my type of puzzle game right here. Let's go, baby. I my did jam. Like it. it is my jam. I do want to talk a little bit about the in-game scoring. I hate doing this, but. No, I think this is important because the variability is what makes this really cool too. Yeah, I think there's like 13, 14 uh, in-game scoring tiles. But what happens is, is uh, the small fish go above each of these. You set out six of them. And for instance, if I put out the, um, uh, the clownfish above the shape that Marty was talking about, say the one that is two in a row, two hexagons in a row, for every clownfish that I have, I will multiply it by the victory points on that tile. So I will want to try to get clownfish because that sets the scoring that I need. So for every of the two hex, bigger fish that's two hex, I want clownfishes. The other thing I want to do is it's not always about building out just these big hexagons. You want reef because you want your fish living on the reef. So if you can string a reef of four colors or more together and get fish adjacent to it, you get to count those points again. That's part of the strategy. Now they all can't go against the reef. So you have to think wisely on how you want to position this stuff. And not all the colors are equal. Like the purple is harder to get than the um, yellow. By the way, art was by Vincent Dutrait. We've already mentioned his name. The man never sleeps. <laughs> he doesn't. And this this looks great. And I could not believe the number of scoring tiles that you pulled out. It's like, oh, there's scoring tile for this and this and this. And it's like, geez, there's so many options. The randomness of the scoring is going to make every game feel, feel totally different on what you're trying to, to shoot for. But just the simple concept of matching colors and then trying to get different colors of fish to get the bigger fish, but the bigger fish you want may help drive you towards the victory points that you're trying to get toward the end of the game. It's just, it's just really clever. I just really dug it. Yeah. It's, it was a fun game. Donna really loved it. She loves her tile lane games. For me, this is one in you know, place eight and up. And I really believe that that's a good age for people because of the colors mm-hmm. and, and understanding it. And I, as far as numbers plays one to four, I wouldn't play with one. I'm a solo player, but you know, that's just me. But for me, definitely look at it. This is this is one of those fun tiling games that I think that is more there than you realize when you first take a peek at it. That is Aqua Biodiversity in the Oceans from the OP Games. Five minute initiative is complete. If you've listened to this show, you know I absolutely love going back and playing classic games that either I haven't played in a long time or have never played. Recently, publisher Hans M. Gluck came out with a re-release of El Grande. We got this through Asmodee. They're the ones carrying it here in the United States. And this is a reboxing, and there's been a lot of them, but it's from the 1995 classic uh, designer Wolfgang Kramer, who we've played a lot of his games, and Richard Urich. Now, I have played this game before. Tony, you have not. And I was excited to play this game because, to me, El Grande is just one of those, oh, 
This is very easy to understand. I know exactly how this works. Oh, it's an area majority game. I got it. Let's play. But even though it's so simple, I really enjoyed playing it. Uh, and I think when you pitched it to me, because so, I'm, I'm not a big fan of area majority, but I think one of the saving graces for me when we were playing this game was the cards, picking the cards. Anytime I have that option where there's the strategy, not so much in where all the cubes are, but the secondary action of, okay, you need to pick these cards to get these special powers, actions, or whatever, that that appeals to me in this game. And now I'll admit I went in with kind of a poo-poo head because I wasn't really kind of knowing that I'm not a good person to play area majority with. I don't grasp it very well. So it was, it was interesting, but it was a quick teach. I was very happy about, and I'm like, okay, I might be able to understand this and actually be competitive in this game. Cause normally I am not very competitive in an area majority game. Because lots of times you you have all these extra rules that you got to deal with. And here you don't, everybody starts with a hand of cards ranging uh, from one to 13, 13. Each of you secretly put down a card. Whoever has the uh, highest card gets to go first and take one of the actions available from the action deck that's going to be changing each round, each of the cards available. The higher the number of the cards, the less of your little meeples you get to take from your general supply to your pool, which is what is used to go on the board. Low number cards get you a lot from your supply to your pool to the board, but you get the last pick on which card you get to, to use. And the cards themselves will let you deploy meeples out to the board and you always must deploy adjacent to where a king meeple is in this area of spain or just spain (laughs) in in general (laughs) area of spain but what's the kicker is each of the action cards also has a secondary ability that lets you break the rules and typically it's like moving somebody else's stuff uh swapping people changing the situation of the board because on rounds three six and nine there's a scoring or you're going to go to each of the provinces and score a majority, whoever has the most points, getting a certain amount of points, and they each score differently. And the goal is to get the most points by the end of the game. And one of the interesting things that I didn't grasp until we got a few round, until we got to that first scoring round was the little tower where you're putting cubes in. Completely missed that. Didn't understand it, what I was supposed to do and why it was so important. So it took a little bit for me to get it. So I can put my little people out on the card, or if you have older games, you can put little cubes out on the board. Yeah. Oh yeah, these are nice little meeples now. They're not cubes anymore. It's a nice meeple and you still have the cardboard tower that you drop your meeples in for uh, to use during scoring. So you're dropping these meeples in. I'm like, I don't understand this. This is really cool. Oh, this is gimmicky. Oh, he's going to open the porticulus and then the meeples are going to spill out over the board. Because, I mean, you can keep track of how many people if you want to. I I didn't even try. But then they can go out and they may be all placed to get their majority of a certain area where you thought you were going to actually win. Now, another concept of this game that I thought was kind of fun was some of the cards allowed you to change some of the scoring dynamics of it. So you would change the, you know, whoever had the majority, oh, we're going to change that scoring to something else. And that would really mess up some people. And with the higher scoring areas, I saw where everybody was fighting over those areas to try to become first, second, and third uh, when the majority goes. Some of the cards allowed you to score early. So for someone who's never played it, I was like, oh, okay, I can handle this type of game. I can understand the flow of it. I appreciate, you know, 
these cards that you're picking from cause you know, the less powerful cards you're picking from, you get to put out more of your little people. If you have them stored, I like how that balance is. So you need to strategically figure out when do I want to play a high card and not put a meeple into my storage area. I like the fact that you could actually pick up some of those cards and put them back in your hand. So that can really mess up your strategy. That should help your strategy. It messes my strategy up. Cause I thought I was going to have the highest card, but somebody oh, I see what you're saying. We didn't mention this, that once you use a card, you don't get to use it again. Unless, like Tony said, some of the action cards, the ability is take a card from your discard pile and put it back in your hand. Mm-hmm. This is a game that will stay on my shelf. I oh, think it is so classic that I could easily teach my family. I'm not going to sit here and teach them Kutnahora, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that we taught earlier. Uh, we talked about earlier in the show. This is so simple compared to so many other Euro games, but it's still fun. Mm-hmm. And it, there's there's randomness to it because the way the action cards come out are going to change. The whole thing of the tower is really cool because that's how you can redeploy some of your people to during spots on the board that you couldn't get them during the game or during the round because you has to be put beside a king. The king can move around. And when a king's in a spot, that means nothing can be added or removed from there. So we actually use the strategy of using the king to try to block an area. Mm-hmm. Let's say it was a high scoring area where you have control you know nothing can be added or removed from it until that king moves. So I like those little bits and pieces of strategy that you use throughout this game. So I have a game on my shelf that I really enjoyed, and Donna actually enjoys it. It's called Royals. You remember that one? Yes, from 20, I do. 20, 2014. Wow, yes. And you can sit there and say, well, they're nowhere near the same. But to me, it gave me that same feel because there was the area majority. But there was mm-hmm. open drafting and set collection in that one as well. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, is there room on the shelf for this versus we haven't gotten Royals out and played it in at least five years. Nothing wrong with, you know, it's just, but I'm like this one, I think I could probably get on the table quicker than Royals. You know, that made me flash back to that game and how much I enjoyed playing that from the simple area majority that it provided. I'm like, Ooh, okay. How did I miss this game? How did I miss LaGrande? It probably is one of those that just came after, Oh, well before we kind of got into it and we thought, oh, that's an old game. But like I said, there's been many versions. There's been big box versions. Oh, nothing I didn't mention was this includes two expansions in the box. Mm. So if you don't have a copy of El Grande right now, you get this uh, game and it comes with automatically with the two expansions and over at Miniature Market, it's only $36. Wow. I'm sorry, for $36, that's a good game to keep on your shelf. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan. I just get so much joy out of re-experiencing these games and realize, holy cow, a game doesn't have to have a 25, 30 page rule book with a thousand ways to score victory points to bring me enjoyment anymore. As long as it's simple, engaging, and fun, I'm still going to enjoy it. Right there with you. I mean, matter of fact, I think I just added it to my miniature market cart. I'm ready to go. That's it. So that's El Grande out now. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Marty and I got to play a game called Unboxed. Now, this is not a game where we unbox a game and then try to figure out how to put it back together. This is <laughs> actually a game by WizKids designed by Jordan Sorensen. When you unbox it, you actually need to figure out the rules to the game. Now, theme-wise, they're saying you're archaeologists and you've entered these dig sites and you've discovered all these games that you need to figure out. And after you've figured out all the rules, 
then you have 10 functional games that you can play. And the fun of this is trying to interpret how these cards that you display mean in the game. So you're writing the rules and you're trying to get in the heads of these ancient people. That is unboxed. Yeah. And you really can't spoil too much. No. You just have, it, it'll say, okay, at this archaeological dig site, you find this number of tokens. There's four different color tokens and you have these inscriptions on a card. Play the game. And so from that, it's very clever. I mean, you, how you try to figure out what's well, like, well, this picture looks like maybe you would do this with that token. And if you take this and do this, then maybe if I did this on my turn and you did this on your turn, you try to actually, like Tony said, come up with the exact rules of the game. And when you feel like you have a playable game, you go to the solution and then see if you're right. You're right. And, and the clues on the cards, I mean, they're going to say, okay, you're going to use these components. So think of it like this. You walk into someone's house and you found the components laying on the table. And then you found these hieroglyphics on the table detailing what you need to do. That's really what you're getting from this game. And I love how all the components work on all the, well, not all the components, but the components in this box work for the 10 games. You know, some mm -hmm. of them you use, some of them you won't. But it was so funny. The one we couldn't figure out was probably pretty darn <laughs> the simple. The easiest one. <laughs> yeah. So we played, God, three or four of these of the 10. And of the three or four that we played, three of them is like, okay, we figured this out. And they do get progressively harder. Mm -hmm. You do kind of high five after you figure out that last. Number two, which really shouldn't have been that hard. We had to, we had to look up the answer. We could not figure it out. And we saw the answer. It's like, you got to be kidding me. We overthunk it, it. We overthunk over it. Yeah, we did. And it was just like, what, what does this symbol mean? But that's, that's another good thing about this design. It leads you to those harder deductions. Now, hopefully we'll get this back on the table and we'll finish out the, with the other six games and just see how complicated it is. Cause I'm sure number 10 is a really, well, I'm not sure. I'm guessing that it is a really deep game using the various components. Again, we can't really tease too much about what we found out, but it's one of those things that after, after you figure out the puzzles, it is rewarding. It is a good solid puzzle game. They say, Hey, you're going to have 10 games that you can play out of the box which is true. So this is kind of a one and done thing. But I do feel, Tony, that you can easily repackage this back up and give it to somebody because nothing from so far, what we've seen is nothing's destructible. Mm -mm. So you ought to be able to hand this off to a friend if they want to figure out the puzzles for themselves. Puzzles in the game are the game as well as the games are the game. So you might find a gem in there and we don't know yet. We haven't played through it that you may want to say, you know what? This is a quick filler game. And that's why I want to get it on the table. There may be something in there that we really enjoyed. I mean, heck, the first game with the cards had the various mechanics that both Marty and I enjoy in the game. So it was one of those things that, hey, you know, this is a very simple game, but still it's got the mechanics we know of. And that's how we were discussing it. Okay, this definitely has this mechanic and we know what this, what, how this would work out. So that is Unbox from WizKids Games. Five-minute initiative is complete. MiniatureMarket.com for all your gaming needs. Be sure to head over to their website, sign up for that newsletter, check out all the new stuff that they got on. For instance, Marty talked about El Grande is $35.99 over at MiniatureMarket.com. Plum Island Horror, it is in stock for $66.99. Why, why? Just make it $67, people, because then Barcelona 
from Port and Dice, which we'll be getting on the table around here at the um, Rolling Dice and Taking Name, is $42. Be sure to check out all the expansions that are out there, along with all their daily deals. You can go ahead and get some pre-orders in there with the big one that's getting ready to come out. So be sure to check that out. That is Wormspan from Stonemaier Games. So head over to miniaturemarket.com and be sure to check out their daily deals because you got to click on them to see them. Our time is usually limited on game night. And Marty said, hey, 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 I got this 4X game that I want to play and i've been promised that it can be played in around two hours and we went that's bull crap there's no there's no 4x game out there that can be played in two hours marty there's no way marty's like yeah i can trust me and so we said all well, right fine <laughs> well you said trust me it was clay ross from capstone <laughs> games who said trust me and i said all right clay send it and we'll try it out 4x in two hours you're promising a lot here i was promising a lot and we and i will discount the teach on that of course but this is i'm gonna give it my best a new naki a new naki dawn of the gods i was reading the description of it before we get to play it and i love some of this you know it's a 4x euro game by simone uh luciana and danilo sabia i know i did but but that Luciana guy, he's familiar. I'm like, I know that name. Why do I know that name? Yeah, where from? It would be because of Lorenzo El Magnifico. There you go. So we're like, all right, all right. His com- the complexity of his games and how streamlined they are. I bet these two could pull it off. And well, believe it or not, we got it done in two hours. Even at for our first game, we were able to play this 4X style game, which it's light on some of the X's. Yeah, I, I, we, can I'll, talk, I'll we can talk about that. I agree. I, I call it like maybe three and a half X. <laughs> <laughs> we'll explain which X, why we say that. But anyway, yes, we did it in two hours. We nailed it. Our first game was two hours easily. After that, sub two hours, because now we understood how this game works. Right. I think, Tony, the most unique thing about this game is the action selection. You have a player board and you have all these actions available to you. And it's going to be your typical type 4X things. You can move. There's a place your pawn on the movement to move around. That's how you explore. You can portal. This The print table presence on this is so nice because everybody starts out with their home planet. It's a round board. And everybody starts with their a capital city on their home planet. And then there's a Gaia board, another main board in the middle. And you can portal to any other space that you want. There's some limitations on which ones you can you can go to. But movement is like with on the same board, portals to another board. Each of the sectors of the different boards have resources. So that's where you exploit. You can get resources from areas uh, that you can that you can collect. And then as if you go into a spot where somebody else is, there's going to be some battles. So that's where some extermination comes into. I said earlier, explore. That's the one to me I think is probably going to be the half an X because lots of times in explore, it's like fog of war type stuff. You're turning tiles over. You don't know exactly what you're going to see, but it definitely definitely had the fourth S expand because you were putting out new buildings on the board. And when you put out new buildings, when you got new people, they could go to those where those buildings start. So you're going to expand your area of influence over the course of the game too. So all the X's were represented in some way, but Tony, I think it's the action selection I thought was the really coolest thing about this thing. So on your home board, which you're helping, which I appreciate the home board being able to track the various resources. You have four types of resources that you're tracking. 
that will help you be able to use, you know, some of your cards or meet contracts. I know that's probably not the right term, but on this home board, you have spots for various actions that you can take where you take your pawn and you place these actions. Like you can do your portal, you can do your move, you can do your mining, you can advance along a track where you've placed out settlements to gain additional followers. I mean, all this can be done. Now, the, the unique operation that you're doing is you can pick up this pawn and move it anywhere on your board, place it. Good. But if you were to take your pawn and trace a path to the next action, you will then cover adjacent up, action, adjacent action. Sorry, not next adjacent action. You will be going over a, was it an opal? An, uh, a gym. A gym. Uh, so, so some of them have gems. All of them were places that you uh, spots that you could drop a cube. If you happen to drop a spot in the cube that had a gem, you would earn a gem. Yeah. So when you're doing that, then you place place a cube in there, and you'll get a gem that you can later spend uh, during your turn to be able to take an additional action, spend some resources, pay a gem, maybe put out more followers, do uh, repeat an action, things like that. You, you have all that going on. But anyway, so as you're doing this move along to an adjacent action, you have some other gods. You have some minor gods and you have your big god. And if you are able to surround an area, a triangle, you may place a minor god on the board. And the minor gods have special powers. If in the center of the board, you happen to circle it completely with these cubes, you get to place out your major god. I had Odin, for instance. He allowed some special powers. So everybody has special player powers, and their minor gods have some special player powers. They also have varying strengths. So for me, I think that was probably part of the... And, and by the way, the boards are randomly set by one person, and then everybody copies it. So it's not like everybody has different actions in different areas. One person, we set it up on his board, and we all have to use that board for ours. Very straightforward, but it was probably one of the unique things that you have to do on your planning. You were never locked into any particular move or any particular action. It was just, do I need a gem? And yes, Mark Kell and I kept calling it dragon eggs. Sorry, Marty. I know we'd love to do that to you. And then of course, when I come to record the podcast, I forget what they're called, but okay. So <laughs> I like that. I like that action of being able to either, I need this egg, so I better go adjacent and make sure that I'm not covering something up. Oh, I really need to take that action and I can, I can move my pawn over there and take that action and never be hindered. Now, all these actions can be upgraded, of course, by paying various resources. Some are the minor So that's actions. kind of like your tech tree. Yeah, your tech tree. Absolutely. Yep. And one thing I will say about this, uh, one thing I liked, I, they gave us a little player aid that was this little bitty thing. This little bitty piece of cardboard, but it was straightforward. It was place your pawn, you know, do this additional action, you know, go. Uh, I just liked how it was laid out right there for you. And it was like, just step right through that. And if there was none of stuff that applied, just skip, skip right over it, move on to the next player. Basically, it's like the phases of the game. You had to take mm -hmm. that main action. Uh, I called it wrong. It's, it's mana crystals. It's not even mm -hmm. a gem. It's a mana crystal. You could spend mana crystals to do various things, do upgrades. Like Tony said, repeat an action you already done. Uh, one thing you do is get contracts. You could try to fulfill contracts. And by fulfilling contracts, you can earn victory points and other bonuses. Because some of the, sometimes the contracts would say, hey, you know, because you fulfilled this, you get to take this action or you get to have this. And some of them had, hey, if you happen to be in this particular planet and you pay these resources, you get to do every action that's on this little card. Then you get to the resolve battles, 
Um, if you happen to moved into a place, there's NPCs on the board that's set up at the beginning of the game. Every planet has an NPC, even in your home planet. And if you go and knock them out, you'll get some bonuses there. The thing is, though, you got to prep for that. Everybody starts out with some battle cards in their hand, blue battle cards, which can be used for defense. But if you want to attack, one of the actions that you need to do is go in and get a red battle card into your hand, because when you're the attacker, you must play a red battle card. And this is where you're going to do a comparison of strengths because each of your followers have like a strength one. The minor god has a strength two. Major god has a strength three. That's not only used in battles, but how many resources you can collect. Your major god's going to be able to collect more resources than what your single follower is. Again, that's very straightforward when it comes to combat, resource collection. The strength of them makes sense. Tony, I also like that too is when you go and exploit an area, let's say I go to an area that has three metal I have two followers in there. Uh, I'm going to take the resource action because I have two followers in there, strength one, and that area offers up to three metal. I can take two of the three because I've only got the two followers. I then take an exhausted token and cover up one of those metal spots. Now that area is only going to be able to produce two. If it's hit again, that another spot will be covered. This is only going to produce one. And those aren't uncovered. Once an area is exhausted, you can no longer get those types of resources, but uh, one of the actions on your your turn is being able to exchange resources. The upgraded action of that, like moving up a tech tree, is just generate the resource that you need. So as the game goes along, it rewards you or kind of pushes you. You need to start upgrading some of these abilities because the flip side of these are really good and you're going to need those probably towards the end of the game. I'm not a big 4X player. I'll I'll go ahead and say this. I mean, so Mm -hmm. I was, first off, they're too long. Games are too long for me. I find that people have played a lot of that particular board game or whatever. It's not fun for someone to jump into who's never played it because you usually end up, you know, just walking away thinking, man, I did terribly, even though that's probably because you played against people who are really, really good at this game and really enjoy them. So, you know, 4X is not my style. Generally a 4X types game, you can see the map before you. The, the worlds, the home worlds that you had that you were trying to jump through and portal through, I was kind of trying to figure out, okay, how does the, you know, control work, adjacency, all that's going through my head, even though it didn't even apply to this, you know? Right. So when I was thinking about this game, we were playing the game. I was just like, okay, I'm not understanding this whole theme. And I'm like, okay, nobody's coming to my planet. So I don't have to worry about defending it. Right. So maybe I should go over there and, and, um, bother Marty a little bit portal to his, so I can portal a follower to Marty's planet and then possibly, you know, do something there or, you know, take an action that will allow me to uh, possibly drop more uh, followers there or whatever. I never really grasped how I was going to have conflict with you unless I was really adjacent to you. It's like, okay, well, maybe I'll just go out and ravage this land. And then that becomes useless, but I still control it. And no one's really going to call, come in there unless they need points from that. But not all the lands were that valuable unless you have a, you know, a certain special card or something that says you need to do this. Like one of your God cards says, hey, if you control these amount of temples, then you get additional victory points. Or I had one that said, if you have more mines, then you get two victory points per mine. So that's one of some of the things that will force you to have to go interact. But when you move, you will. Could you portal on a planet that you are already on? Yeah. It was almost kind of useless unless you had just a really bad movement mm-hmm. action that you just can't get to where you needed. 
Yeah, but if you were blocking me from getting to a certain location that I needed to score victory points, I would have to walk through you, oh. stop in battle. But if I portal, but then again, I, I can only portal. For some odd reason, these teleporters can only, just like in, you know, even in Star Trek, you could put five people on the teleporter. Well, unless you upgrade, you can portal more. Yeah. You can upgrade the portal. Yeah, you just have to watch your strength levels on that point. But you'd, that's where your gods would come in. You'd portal your gods, and so suddenly you would have the strength mm-hmm. and the battle capabilities. There's also development tracks, too, kind of like uh, the tech tracks. Development tracks exist in this game, too. Like when you fight, you move up on that particular track. When you upgrade, you move up on that one. When you complete contracts, you move up on that one. And the reason why you want to do that is because if, at the beginning of the game, there's random victory point conditions for each of those tracks. Uh, Tony, you mentioned uh, one of the things you could score points on was uh, ha- uh, being in spots with sanctuaries uh, where you can. There's some of the zones that have like a little sanctuary icon. At the end of the game, uh, one of the p- tracks could have like, hey, if you really did good in fighting, however far you've moved up on this track times the number of sanctuaries you have gets you a bunch of victory points. So you might want to decide at the beginning of the game, maybe which one of those developed tracks you want to focus on. You possibly can't move up on all three of them, but maybe you try to move up on two and then see what kind of points you could generate by moving up on those two and focus on that. Because one of the things that triggers the end of the game is when somebody reaches the end of one of those development tracks. Mm. The other one is getting out all your little action cubes on your board and covering up every spot on your board. That's the other way. So there is a little bit of variability at the beginning of the game where you might want to decide based on these points based on the powers of my gods, minor and major, and kind of where I'm set up now, I'm going to focus on these two tracks and try to generate the most points I can. Because I, I think you're right, at the end of the game, a lot of us are going, why do I need to fight you anymore? Uh, maybe you don't. A random fight may not make sense, unless maybe you happen to be sitting in a spot that maybe has a sanctuary that would give me more points if mm-hmm. I control it instead of you. Right. And I screwed that up. I, I, I took the game away from you because I was... It was gold mines, not sanctuaries, where I got points. And I went in there and said, hey, I'm just going to do this one battle thinking I could score more points. Oh, crap. I read the card wrong. My bad. No, no that's, that's fine. Yeah, I mean. No, no it's it, not you, fine. No, no, no it is. Have done it. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying is, yeah, I thought I was set up for a big uh, point win. And you came in and swung a, a area towards you. And then it cost me basically 10 points. And I lost by like, you know, five or eight points or something like that. But that's, that's the game. That's how it works. And I lost by 30. So you can see, <laughs> so you can see where my mind was with this game. And once again, these are not my style of games. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe a shorter version, a quicker version would be along my liking. There were, there were very aspects of this game that I did enjoy. Uh, I mean, the, the movement uh, of taking the actions. I really did like that. I like how that came into play. But oh, the action selection the thing action on your own personal yeah, board. Yeah, I really cool. enjoyed that. But I did think a lot of the um, turns were taking way too long with some people. And I don't think it was anything fault of anybody on the board, but because they were doing, they were playing the game well, and I wasn't. And what's interesting is you feel that way, but it still was only two hours. Yeah. Is that why you roll your eyes when I suggest Clash of Culture, just not your style of game? It's not my style of game. Yeah. yeah. No, I, t- I don't, that totally I, I don't makes mind sense. playing it. I don't mind playing it. I just know that when I play class of cultures or any of these types of games that you really need to stay engaged and I need to not get out the mm. switch and I don't need to be reading other rules or anything like that. As Mark said, when we were playing this game, he goes, Oh, he got his phone out early. And I was like, well, <laughs> well, I was waiting on y'all to take your turns. I knew there was, that's one thing about this game. There wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, 
I knew what I was going to do before y'all, by the time y'all took you, there was no way y'all were going to change what I was going to do. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that's good. If, if, if you don't, if you don't like it where a four X game comes in and people really mess up your plans, I don't think that this one will, unless there's a lot of battle. Yeah, unless there's a unless there's a lot of and that just depends on the people that you're playing with. This is going to be indicative of any of these types of games, right? How much player interaction do you want with messing with other people? I don't think this is a game you're going to mess with other people unless there's an advantage to it because you potentially could lose, and when you lose, uh, your guys go back to your capital, and then you have to redeploy them and get them back out on the board again. So you have to kind of re- it's a kind of like a reset if you lose, which you don't want to go through. If you're a fan of 4X and you just know that the idea of crap, a three to four hour game is just a little too much for me, we can honestly say, and even even our first game and every subsequent game is going to be less than this was was two hours. And that was after a teach and the teach isn't too bad. It's Mm-mm. honestly, what do each of the actions do? Full stop. Does everybody understand what the actions do? Great. All right. You can also take these additional actions uh, by spending these mana crystals. Everybody understand that? Great. Here's how combat resolution works. Everybody got that? All right, let's play the game. Mm-hmm. It's it's honestly that pretty straightforward. Yeah. Shoot. Even the setup, now that we understand how to do the setup and everything, we, we'll fly through this thing. Easily. 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 So this is coming out. Uh, it's pre-order right now from Capstone Games, Anunnaki. I'm not sure how you said it, but that's a, a Dawn of the Gods. Forex. I'll say it's probably three and a half X. Like I said, on for me, the explore was the one where I felt like it wasn't as much exploring, but for sure, the exterminations there, exploiting for resources and expanding out your territory and your uh, and your control is for sure there. Bite-sized four X game that you can easily get on the table on a game night. But <laughs> Tony, it is a game sprawler. You do need a lot of space because it looks great on the table, but it is a kind of a table hog. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. If you've been paying attention, you know Marty and I have been digging into some of these war games, and there's a bunch of styles. There's the chits, and then there's the type of war games that just have cards. Well, we got to try out two GM tactics designed by Proyecto Enigma from Draco Ideas, and this is a war strategy war game. Um, where units are represented by cards and you are playing as either the allies or the Germans. And your whole goal, well, it's scenario-based. The one we got to play is destroy the other person's headquarters. Yeah, that's right. There's there's a pitched game which we played in the campaign or different type scenarios you can play that's based on different scenarios of actual World War II. Now, I mean, as far as rules, it's got some it's got some depth to it, Marty. I would say there's 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 some, there's a little stuff you got to get through. But I won't go ahead and jump into the thing that impressed both you and I, or at least I mm-hmm. think it is, is you know when you're playing these card games, these war card games, generally it's just here's a card, here's a card, here's a card, here's a card. These cards actually have the ability to be upgraded. What you say? That's right. They are being upgraded. You can pay. AP points, which you get at the beginning of your turn. AP points, action points, points. Well, that would be APP. I know, but you said you said AP points. That's right. Um, action you, point, uh, points. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the correction. APs, action points, fine. 
You got that going on. You can pay first to get a card on the table with those action points, and then you can pay additional action points to give it an offensive and a defensive characteristics if the card allows. Move the guys, go attack some people, meet the objective. What you didn't mention was about how you set this up. So in the standard game that we play, they recommend that you have 120 points, action points worth of units in your deck. And you can build this deck however you want it. You can include infantry and um, support cards or like instant cards or tanks, artillery, etc. So you decide how you want to build the deck. But like you said, Tony, you, so you're going to have a hand of cards on your turn. You're going to determine how many action points that you have, which is one thing I like about this too, is how you can adjust that. And then you're going to spin to deploy it. And at the bottom of the card, as a reference of like, for example, Tony, I believe you had uh, one of your military units. You can make a sharpshooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that made when you roll the die, because everything's done through D10 combat, it's going to make it easier for that shooter to hit. And the combat style is, is really simple. It says, hey, you're going to roll a D10. You need to roll higher than this in order to do a hit. And then also, if you roll higher than another a crit number, you actually kill a unit outright. But for like for the sharpshooter, you could roll a lower number than with the standard military unit. So you have to decide, what upgrades do I want to give? Is it better to give points to here for an upgrade or possibly deploy another card onto the onto the uh, board? Right. So let's say you load your deck with some special forces and they all have the ability to be upgraded with sharpshooters. And they can also have heavy machine guns. So you're sitting there thinking, okay, if I can get those cards on the table, I will build a unit that will allow me to do special things. If you put in the um, armored tanks, you can put machine guns on them and they can roll out. So all that's part of your strategy as you're building the deck. So you got a deck deck building here. And then you're sitting there, okay, now comes the tactical strategy of moving, flanking, all that. Because one of the easiest things I liked about this was this reference card. I could look at this reference card with my readers on. Yeah, the print was very small on these cards. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I could say, okay, hey, by attaching this weapon outside of the unit's basic actions, I'm going to get, oh, I don't know. Let's put, give him a heavy machine gun. The range is now three. The hit ratio is four more is a hit, eight and more is a critical. Oh, and by the way, there's armor piercing of four, knowing that if I come across something that has an armor of four or less, I will do damage to it. It's all right there on these cards, and I really did appreciate about this game. It's like to replay taking uh, like a heavy miniatures game or like a chit game and reducing all the stats and everything to just a simple playing card, which is why it appealed to me. I also like how you generate action points each turn. Your HQ always generates one, but you have a concept of a supply line. Uh, so the board is made up of rows. For every unit you have on a row that connects back to your HQ, you're going to generate one AP. So you're trying to create this line from your furthest out unit back to your HQ, uh, which will help supply, generate more action points, which you can use to do more deployments. Mm -hmm. And a couple other things that I want to point out that I like, and then I'm done with this, is that, hey, you got various units that you can load into trucks, move them, you can tow stuff. All that's very thematic in this game. Overall, if you like these um, card war games, then this may be something for you, especially if you like the idea of variability and upgrading the cards. I think to me, that is what will make this game stand out. Now, this was you know done back in 2015, so they've got other versions of it. They've got this the is a new edition. This, this is the latest edition, yep, that they latest, just released. They have the Pacific, so maybe the Theater War that you want. I liked it. I think it played a little slow because mm -hmm. of some of the things we had to do and the number of units we had out there and the results of the die kind of 
you know, <laughs> made me it upset. Really, it really tainted your, I mean, Tony could not roll worth a crap. Statistically, he was rolling really bad. And, and I guess there was one rule that bugged me. If I'm firing a freaking tank into the forest, I'm going to hit a tree. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I'm going to blow that tree freaking up. But no, not in this game. Ah. So anyway, yeah. so I, I think if you enjoy the, you know, like Warfighter from um, DVG and things like this, definitely give this a look because I, I like that ability to upgrade. I definitely like card-driven games, and that's what this fell in for. There's a lot of game in this box because there's so many cards. You can customize your deck. You can play a standard pitch game. You can work through the uh, campaign where you can set up different terrain on the board because different terrain cards uh, represent how hard it is to get across the terrain. It can provide cover and stuff like that. So there's a lot of depth in this game to create a lot of strategy in your gameplay. It's just whether you want to sit down and learn how to best build your deck. But as far as this, the flow of the game, flows very easy that is 2gm tactics from draco ideas five minute initiative is complete at tantrum con we got to see berkey the man himself who owns game toppers llc he was handing out some cool ball caps he supported our giveaway at the moon pie eating contest where he gave away some bags and i was seeing game toppers all over tantrum con and the nice mats and everything and as people were walking around they're wondering wait a minute how can i get that stuff well you still can because there's still the late pledge that's going on right now if you miss the kickstarter you can head over to gametoppersllc.com head over to the late pledge where they have package deals map bundles don't forget about the new tables like the coffee style table with the casters on it which is either great for holding a puzzle or maybe for a kid's table or for just a little coffee table type thing you've got all the brand new mats with the new art you've got the art for the rails now which looks really sweet going around we use our game topper products every single week i've never had to replace any of them the mats are fantastic. They hold up. They're easy to clean. Over my birthday, we played on one of the toppers, and I remember my dad was sitting there going, how stable is this thing? And he's trying to, to move the game topper on the table. It's like, Dad, you're going to break the table underneath it. Stop, because that game topper is not going to move. It's non-skid surface on the bottom. We'll make sure that it stays gripped to that table and not go anywhere. Again, to find out more and get yourself a game table or mat, head over to GameToppersLLC.com. Tony and I got a couple keys sent to us for a new Nintendo Switch game called Rising Lords. Now, I typically like my RTS type games and I like my deck building style games. And this is kind of a merger of the two. You can use decks of cards to build armies to go out and try to, there's some scenarios or try and take over towns, et cetera, like that. But it's a turn-based game. You go, I go. You can move units into place. You have different styles of units. You have archeries and arch archeries, archers and spearmen, and you can take over areas of town that you know, could possibly give you some increased defense. So your typical hex-based turn-style game, but driven by card play mechanics. Yep. I put the code in. I downloaded it. I said, okay, switch, show me some stuff. Started the tutorial. I'll be blunt with y'all. Do not play this on the Switch. 
do not, do not, do not. You need a mouse. That was probably one of the things. I think if I had played this on Steam, I would have enjoyed this a whole lot more because it became cumbersome of trying to upgrade my towns by going around the radial, things like this. This is not a game for the Switch. Now, is if you enjoy these RTS-style games, then I like I said how, RTS is probably more turn-based, but I'm Turn-based, yeah. yeah. I, I think it would be something that is worth looking into because I've never played anything like this, Marty, to be honest with you. And I like the art style. And again, yeah. I agree with you. I, I think the UI was very cumbersome on the Switch because you were moving around a pointer to different uh. spots on the uh, screen. And I couldn't get the pointer sometimes in the right spot. Mm-hmm. I'm going, this is mouse driven. I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go buy the Steam version because I'll enjoy it much more. Because I love the idea of like, I've got these cards. When I build this deck, I want to include two archers. I want to include this guy. I want to include this guy. And that's basically what I'm going out with for my uh, adventures or the scenario or whatever like that. Again, I thought the art style was kind of clever and how it mm-hmm. looks. So there's a lot of things I like about it, but I need a keyboard and mouse probably to enjoy it to its max. Yeah. I mean, the, the various economies, the taxes that you have to do and, and uh, you know, having to can get the peasants out there to build you some mills or build you some lumber, yep. or get you an armor smith, all that that stuff that you need to be doing. Which was like the uh, Age of Empires type thing, right? right? You're trying to build out to have your resources that you need to be able to build the things. So all that's there. A lot of the stuff is there. I just want to make sure I use the correct UI to appreciate it. Maybe that's what we need to do. Go out and get the Steam version and try it out. But if if you're a hardcore person and you do not have issues with using a um, joy controller, joystick, type thing to handle radials like these old men here over at Rolling Dice and Taking Names, then give it a shot. Take a look at it over there on the Switch. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, uh, I got to uh, the official version of Dominion has finally come out on Steam. It was, uh, it was an early access, which I had played before, and I think it was a great version of Dominion that came Wait, out. Is that, is that Dominion the card game? It is Dominion the card game. Really? Okay. Yeah, there's a free version right now on Steam that you can play. It's come out of early access. I didn't realize this. I was playing this in 2021. Like when it early, early came out, I oh. was playing. Yeah. So it's just now officially been released. Basically, all the sets that you would want are out there as DLC, inexpensive DLC that you can add. So Tony, you and I can play online together. You could play against the uh, computer. Uh it's the UI snappy. You can easily mouse over cards to see what the cards do. So it's it's just a really, really nice version of the game. And it's also on your phone. So whether it be iOS or Android, there is an option for playing Dominion 2 on your phone. Another one of those classic games that you forget how good it is until you go back and play it and you go, oh yeah, just a simple deck building game is still really, really fun. Well, I was going to check that out because I enjoyed Dominion. I mean, then, of course, it got replaced by a whole bunch of other games, so it ended up coming off the shelf. But I know a lot of people who still play Dominion. So, okay. I got another question for you about a video game. So, uh, now that the football season is over, you know, Madden has got, Madden 2024 has been slashed in prices. I have not played a Madden probably since, oh, I don't know, GameCube times, and where it was really simple and things like that. How complicated is it? Have you played one in a while? I mean, there's all these leagues and esports. And did you see our alma mater created an esport campus? Our uh, NC State they they got like 30 gaming oh, PCs. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. That is pretty, pretty cool. cool. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, I thought there was a lot of stuff where you had to um, 
uh, what's what's the term we have to keep paying money to keep playing a game or microtransactions? Uh, yeah, microtransactions. Uh, is that what is is that what Madden is? I'd love to play a sports game on the PlayStation Five or something like that. It's just. I mean, yes. I mean, it's EA. So yes, microtransactions are going to be there. Uh, since you haven't played in a while, maybe you would enjoy it. It is a lot heavier than what it used to be. When it moved beyond the SNES where it only had like five plays to choose mm-hmm. from, look, I won't sweep left, sweep right, <laughs> up the middle, and pass. That's it. That's all I need. But the playbook got so extensive, it's like it's just too much for me anymore. Uh, to play. And if I played against somebody else, I would get absolutely destroyed. So I haven't played in forever either. Typically, those games rate very, very bad, but they rate bad because it's the same game every year. Mm-hmm. So people give it low scores because it's just rinse and repeat with new rosters. But since you haven't played it in forever, it's going to feel very new to you. Right. Now, I did do the PGA Tour golf one, and it did not grab me. But I mean, I guess I've gotten to the point where my attention is just so bad now that this is just slow for me. And I used to love playing golf games on, on the mm. consoles, but you know, not anymore. But Did my you ever favorite, play Mario Golf? Yeah, I love Mario Golf. Okay. Uh, yeah. The new one on the Switch? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I forget where I am. I think uh, I just finished the one. I, I stopped playing, but I had where the storm had come through and wiped out the one course, and you were having to play yeah. the scramble-type golf. Yeah. But Anyway, was, so I cut you off. You said you yeah. liked yeah, but one of my favorite football games was NFL Blitz. Yes, that's what needs to come back is NFL mm-hmm. Blitz. And I'd be all, what was that, like a six on six? Just it was beat pure the crap cheap. out of each other. It was so good. But And, and the game cheated. <laughs> cheated huge. You, or if you were winning, you were going to phone. It, it was like that game had the star power of Mario Kart on the loser. He got the star and suddenly there were turnovers all the time. And it was like one of the most frustrating controller throwing games ever, but it was a blast. Yes. Yeah. And wasn't there, wasn't there an NHL version two that was the same thing? Yeah. It died. Yeah. That one didn't catch on. Yeah. I don't know, so. but I just remember checking people into the, you know, to the walls and they were just beat the pulp. No blitz needs to come back. NBA jam was good too. For mm. that uh, arcadey style. I want the arcadey style sports games and not the realistic. Yeah. And the final thing from our computer thing. So I asked a question at our local trivia, still writing the questions for our, for our hood and the trivia. And I know you'll get this one. Name the company, the computer this category was computers. I said, name the company that produced the Amiga Vic 20 and C128. Not Commodore. a soul got it. What? Nobody got in the whole, they had no idea that I, I got IBM. IBM was the common answer. Nobody could get Commodore. These people should were around during this time. <laughs> 64, 128, the Vic, I t- which I totally forgot about that. Yeah. The, yeah. And the Amiga was, you know, so I didn't give them the Commodore 64 because it was a giveaway. So I went, yeah. So uh, Vic 20, C128, and the Amiga. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, okay. Wow. That's sad. Well, with that sad note, we will just keep rolling <laughs> dice. <laughs> wow. What a way to end. And taking names. Hey, y'all, thanks for listening. Go to our website, Roll Dice Take Names, to check out all of our links for our social media and especially our Discord. We would love to have you over there hanging out with us. Also, that's where you can find our affiliate link to Miniature Market if you want to support the show. And if you just want to support the show in regular means, you can go to buymeacoffee slash rdtn or buymeamoonpie.com.
feelings on so many levels. Where are the warm feelings? Let's not go there. 